We need to have good kavana. We have refuah shelemas to take care of. Hayasarah batzimcha needs refuah shelemas. That's for sure. And our great doctor, we're going to add him to our kavanot. Doctor Eliyahu Fatiha, Eliyahu Ben Rachel. That also needs uh, needs help, and everybody else. Hashem is big, and the zechut of the Torah can heal everybody. We really have everybody in mind, but those two, of course, are our minds. We're starting a new parasha. It's parashat Vayakhel. And uh, again, it's back, it's back to the Mishkan. I know everybody loves the Mishkan. We're getting to enjoy it and appreciate it. Vayakhel Moshe et kol adat b'nei Yisrael. So it's good to get some history over here. Moshe Rabbeinu gathers all the people of b'nei Yisrael. The question is, when does he gather them? Which day on the calendar is this? So that she says, it's the day after Kippur. Let's just review. The Jewish people did the golden calf on the 17th day of Tammuz. And then Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the 18th of Tammuz to pray to God. He went up for 40 days. And he came down on Rosh Chodesh Elul. And then he went up for another 40 days. And he came down on Yom Kippur. And that's when God told Moshe, I forgive them. I forgive them for the golden calf. That's one of the reasons why Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness, because God forgave us on that day for Yom Kippur. And that's why, <clears throat> incidentally, the Sefaradim have a custom that we go to Sidichot for 40 days before Kippur, because that's when Moshe Rabbeinu was in heaven praying to God for forgiveness for the Egel during the 40 days from Elul to Yom Kippur. Now, right after Yom Kippur, that's when they started to build the Mishkan. So this parasha really is happening on the day after Yom Kippur, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain. Now, you have to know also, it's not so well known, but we have to say it, <clears throat> that the first tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down, obviously he broke them. So the second tablets were actually given to us on Yom Kippur. So you, most people don't, think of that as Yom Kippur as a day of Torah. They think of Yom Kippur as a day of atonement, which it definitely is, but we actually received the, the Luchot, the second tablets, which are the keepers. We, we got them on, uh, on Yom Kippur. Anyway, it says, Moshe Rebbeinu gathered all of the people, and he tells them, these are the, the words, this is the instructions that Hashem has given us. And now, before he talks about the Mishkan, he's going to talk about Shabbat. Six days you shall go to work. On the seventh day, holy. Shabbat, Shabbaton, Hashem. It is a Shabbat, a day where we don't work for Hashem. Anybody that works on the Shabbat, <clears throat> the Torah says Yumat. Yumat will be put to death. Now the question is, what is Shabbat doing over here? Why are we mentioning Shabbat? So that she comes and says, to teach us that even though it's important to build the Mishkan, you cannot build the Mishkan on Shabbat. Shabbat is even more important than the Mishkan. So therefore, uh, the Torah has to come and tell us, don't think that just because I told you to build the Mishkan, that you should build it seven days a week. No, the Shabbat takes takes precedence. 
לא תבערו אש בכל מושבותיכם ביום השבת. Another Torah says, you're not allowed to make a fire on Shabbat. Now, it's interesting, there's 39 different forbidden melachot, uh, different acts of uh, work that are forbidden on Shabbat. Now, making a fire is one of the 39. Why would the Torah mention fire more than any other one? So someone to say, and she brings this down, that making a fire on Shabbat is different than all the other 39 melachot. All the other 38 melachot that are forbidden, so they're punish, punishable by death. But making a fire is a lesser punishment. It's a, called a lav. It's just a, it's just a negative transgression. And therefore would be punished by lashes. That's why the Surah singles out fire on Shabbat, because it has a different punishment than the than the others. By cooking? By cooking, exactly. Making a fire, cooking, or making a fire for heating purposes. <clears throat> Either way, all those things obviously are forbidden on Shabbat. The Torah wrote Lotavaru. So some again, some explain. It's to come and teach us that the punishment for making a fire is less severe, for whatever reason, than the other uh, melachot. Uh, there's another reason that just like if a person would make a fire on Shabbat, he would be guilty of uh, the sin of uh, making a fire. So to each one of the melachot that if a person transgresses on Shabbat, he is guilty of an individual crime. So if he did all 39, he would be guilty of 39 crimes. Just like Lotemaru is an individual melacha, and you hayab on it, so you be hayab on each of the melachot. <coughs> so if a person, let's say, did 39 melachot on Shabbat, my mistake would have to be 39 sacrifices. Each, each, each melacha is its, own, is its own sin. So that's another reason why the Torah singled out this melachat to tell us that all the 39 are like this. They're all singular in the sense that you're hayab on each one of the melachot. Okay. Now we go to the next. So God, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the people. This is what Hashem wants from you. Everybody should take Terumah. Uh, Terumah means a donation. Anybody that is uh, generous. Now, why does it say generosity of heart? Because generosity doesn't begin in the person's hand. The person's hand is the last action. That's when he gives the tzedakah. But tzedakah begins in the person's heart where he has a certain softness or a certain generosity or largeness. So therefore, the Torah says anybody that has a generous heart, he will make a donation to the Mishkan. He will bring it to Rumat Hashem. And what do they donate? Zahab, Nachesef, Like we learned, gold, silver, or copper. Techelet, Argaman, Achani, These are different materials. Orot Elim. Orot Elim is a different type of skins of animals. Odamim is red skins. I don't think you're allowed to say that again today. I think they changed the team from the Redskins to something else because they felt it was uh, 
prejudice to the Indians. But okay, the Torah doesn't change. The red skins, the orot tehashim, these are all different skins of different animals, matzishitim and cedar wood, shemen lamaor, this is a review, oil, like we learned the olive oil for the menorah, ubsamim, the different spices, lashemen lamashah, for the anointing oil, for the ketoret, the samim, and for the ketoret. Now, you should be very proud of yourself because you know exactly what we're talking about over here. All these things we mentioned in the previous parashiot, ve'abne shoham. And the stones, Abdeshuam is the two stones that they wore on the uh, apron, on top of the shoulder of the shoulders of the Kohen. Those are the setting stones that they wore on the, on the breastplate. The stones that filled the settings of the 12, uh, the 12 uh, uh, tribes. Uh, to the apron, that's the apron means the two stones on the shoulders. And the Hoshin is the Hoshin is the, the breastplate. And all the wise men amongst you, so the Mishkan is done. It's a, it's a group effort that everybody will come together and they will help build the Mishkan. Now, what is the Mishkan? It's very important to remember. The Mishkan was a structure. The structure was made up of uh, Kirashim. Kirashim are these poles. And there was 20 poles on one side, 20 poles on the other side, uh, eight poles on the other side, altogether 48 poles. But that's the base of the Mishkan. You need a roof. And I don't know if we pointed it out, we probably did when we learned it. There was actually three roofs to the Mishkan. Oh, we have to look. Yes, I'm going to show you the picture now. The first uh, roof, which is the bottom layer, is called Mishkan. The second layer is called Ohel, and the third layer is called Mechseh. Very important to know that. So when we say Mishkan, that's the first layer of roof, which was made up of skins. Above that is the second layer, and again, as I told you, it's called Ohel. It was made out of uh, skins of uh, goats. And then the third layer, which was called Mechseh, was made of the skins of the rams and a special animal that's called Tehashim. Now let's see if we can find the picture of that. I don't know. I have the Mishkan book. Yeah, this works here. Beauty. So this is the Mishkan again, if you care about it. Uh, if you see it, this is without the roof. This is just you're getting a uh, inside view of the Mishkan, but there's no roof uh, on top. And then, when you turn the page, you start to see Alright, you see they covered it. There's the beams, one second. Beams are nice. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's the Mishkan. It's showing you three coverings. One, two, three. See that? They covered the Mishkan. So it's basically a triple layer roof. So the bottom layer, again, is called Mishkan. The second layer is called, um, what do we say, Ohel. And the third layer on top is called Mixit. Very important. Uh, it's called Ohel or Ohel? 
Oil, oil. Oil is the second layer. Oil. Oil. Okay. Okay. So there you go. So now you know uh, the three layers. Very important. Okay. Now we get to this. I'm reading again. Pasukin Aleph. Et Mishkan, level one. Et Aholo, level two. Ve'et Mechsehu, level three. Ve'et Kerasav. Ve'et Kerashav. Now, what, 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 what are those items? So, Kerashav are the actual beams. Now, let me tell you about the beams for a sec, because we didn't talk about them so much. But, uh, yeah, see the beams? These are what the beams look like. Now, you see, they look like a fork. They have, like, prongs coming out of the bottom of them. Now, you can't put this on the floor because it'll fall. So what do they do to make these, uh, you know, have a base? So they put into these uh, prongs uh, sockets. The sockets were called adanim. Let me see if I can find you the adanim. All right, you see that? Here's the picture of the adanim. Right, right. There you go. You see that? That's the adanim, this piece here. So you take the, the beam that has the two prongs and they stick it into a socket over here. And then this would be the adanim, which would be the base of the mizbeah. Now these adanim were collected. The money that they got for this item was from the half shekels. Remember we said everybody had to give a half a shekel? So that half shekel went to pay for this foundation of the mishkan. So again, the, the kirashim had, had like these uh, teeth the teeth went into the uh, sockets, and this would form the Mizbeach's uh, base. That's according to the way that she said. I want to show you something else. Uh, I want to show you something else. You see the beams themselves, they connected to each other with these, with these like... Um, uh, screws coming out of the side of them. It's like a puzzle. So you would take each beam and you would connect it into each other, into these sockets over here. That's basically the kedashim and the and the kedashim. So that's uh, that's amazing, Rabbi. Amazing stuff, no? Amazing. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing because we never learned it, but obviously Hashem wants us to talk about it. So, and I will tell you that um, it's a big argument and I'll show you the picture now I, I wasn't going to show it to you but I, the picture is really great um, some say that the beams were wide on the bottom and got narrow as they went up so they look like this if you can see in this picture you see it starts off wide on the bottom and gets narrower as they get higher that's one opinion Another opinion says, no, that they were actually uniform thickness. That's this opinion here. So those are two opinions on the, on the Kedashim. Now, listen, I think uh, exactly a Mishkan expert, by the way, after we finish with this over here. Very architectural. Yeah. Listen, Hashem loves what we're doing because most people just skip this stuff. And we're showing Hashem that every word in this Torah is important to us. We're not skipping anything. It's technical stuff, but if Hashem wrote it, uh, we're going to learn it. So it's a big. Uh, I know. I know we're giving God a lot of pleasure 
that we're taking his words very, very literal and very serious. But you make it very interesting. No, I don't know about that. I'm trying to understand it myself. <laughs> to be I'm glad I could teach it because I'm learning it myself. So it says over here now. Okay, now the next pasuk, pasuk uh, you'd bet. Second. <clears throat> I wanted to see you. Okay, let's just continue. I wanted to see how oh, Shai is there. Okay, I haven't seen Shai in a long time. When Shai comes every night, God bless him. It's the best. Okay, I'm just continuing. He's there. So now it says in Pasuk um, Yud. Oh, so here's the Now, is an important item. These beams, so they're connected next to each other. So they linked each other. This beam fits into this beam, this beam, they're connected. But then there was a hole in between all the beams. So it was like a bolt. And they would take a bariya. Bariya is a long metal beam. And they would stick it through all the beams. So that would give it support, not only from on top, but across. So you see over here, you'll see, yeah, so you'll see over here, for example, you see the beams on the outside? Those beams went across. So that's giving it support from the, uh, from the outside. The support poles were round bars that attached the beams and held them in place. Each of the three walls of the Mishkan was connected by five poles, two on top, uh, each running half the length of the wall. So they have two across, one continuing where the other ended, two on the bottom in the same positions. Uh, and then we'll discuss uh, the mid beam. But again, here you have two poles on top and two poles on the bottom. And that gave it support. Those are called berichim. berichim. And then you have what's called beriyah hatichon. I'm going to show you beriyah hatichon. And you really learn an incredible miracle with the beriyah hatichon. Let's see if I can find a picture of that. I don't know how, I don't know how they're going to show you a picture of that. Oh, that's a tricky one. Let's see. It doesn't show me show you the picture. Oh yeah, look at this. I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you first. And I'll show you the picture. It was then a beam which I was talking about that ran through the actual thickness of the walls, like there was a hole in the middle of the walls, and this beam went all the way through like a bolt. But the miracle was when it got to the end of the wall, it turned. The, the bolt turned miraculously. It turned and then went to the back wall and turned again and went across. And you want to see that? You'll see over here. You see there's a, there's a beam inside the wall. You see that beam inside the wall? So the beam went all the way from here, went around, and then went around again. That's called the Bariya Hatichon, the center center beam the center you see it oh no yeah it's the middle one right the middle one so they're calling that 
<clears throat> the central support pillar was a miraculous article. The Gemara comments that the central pole uh, runs through the beams from end to end. It stood miraculously. How did it stay miraculously? Meaning it turned. Nothing holding it. Right? It just, it's just holding inside. And the rabbis come along and say, where did they get that miraculous beam from? So hold on to the seats. You remember when Yaakov Abinu was running away from his brother Esav? Keisha would. He, was, he had his, no, he had a stick with him. It says oh. in the book, uh, he had a stick with him. That right. stick B'nai Yisrael took, and that became the center beam of the, of the, of the Mishkan. The miraculous beam is the stick of Yaakov. Wow. It's an amazing thing. So the last point I'll tell you on this is, what I heard from a big rabbi, what, why is that? There must be a lesson. Why would Hashem want this beam to run through the Mishkan? <clears throat> What's the lesson? It must be teaching us something. What, God doesn't make a miracle unless there's a lesson for us. I heard from one of the rabbis. His name is Rabbi Bernstein. Uh, Isaac. He said a beautiful explanation. He said, he says, he says this under the wedding, under the chupot. The Mishkan represents a house. It's God's house. And we have to build our Jewish homes to replicate the Mishkan. And we want the Shekhinah to be in our homes, just like the Shekhinah was in the Mishkan. The Shekhinah is the divine presence. So he says, you want to know the key to bring the Shekhinah in your house? You have to be willing to bend. And that's the lesson of that pole. The pole went straight, but what did it do when it got to the corner? Bent. Bent. You have to be flexible. If a person is living in a house with a spouse, you have to be willing to give in, not always to have it your way. As long as the house is built where both parties are able to bend and yield to the other one's will from time to time, so then already the home is like the Mishkan. The poles cannot be straight. The poles have to be able to be Flexible. I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful derash uh, uh, to explain the uh, the lesson. Let's go one more person. It's a two way street. It's a two way street. Exactly. It's exactly. I tell my wife all the time, it's a two way street. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so now it says, "Ve'et amuda ve'et adanab." Adanab is the adanim. Adanim is the the uh, the sockets. Et aron. I don't we learned already, that's the ark. Et badav. Badav is the beams that held the ark. Remember we said there's rings on the ark? And they put these, these beams in the ark in order to carry the ark. Veta kaporet. Kaporet was the covering of the ark. Vet parochet masach. Parochet masach was the curtain that separated the ark from the other section of the Beta Mikdash. Et shulchan, the table. Veet badav. That's the table and the Again, the beams that went through it to carry the table. We had called Kelav and all the different vessels that were on the table. We learned that. That was the different uh, uh, um, uh, mechanism that held the showbreads. We learned about that. And the actual showbreads itself. And we learned about that special uh, shape that the showbreads had. Remember we said, they're like this. Goes down the walls on two sides. Walls on like a head, unbelievable. Our members are unbelievable. They remember everything. 
It was like a hit, exactly. Two sides, and it goes flat again. We got a picture, Mara. Show that picture again. There you go. That's the table, and that's the show, Brent. How there? You see the pictures. With the, Rabbi Hader's book. Okay. With the 12 trays. 12 trays. I think I got it in my book also. Yeah, the only one that can show a book, I also have a book. I'm going to show my book also. I paid enough money for these books. Let me get my money's worth on it. Yeah. Okay. Probably show and tell. Yeah, listen, it's unbelievable. This oh, nice. Okay. Whose yeah. book is better? Oh, rather. Sandra bought this book. So, so it's better. Yeah, it has to be better. She bought it. So here's, here's the table. Here's the straw. Wow, what an ornate item. That's a good item. That's a table with all the wow. stuff. And then you have over here. Poles that carry. There's the poles. You see the poles. That's it. They carried it. The poles, and then you got the showbread. Uh, so select to pay for all that stuff. You were saying all the gold well, and the, the people paid for. It. Yeah, the people. Everybody donated. It was like building a shul. Everybody, the everybody donated. It was a group effort. And what about right. carrying all this from place to place? Unbelievable. So that that was the job. It's a good question. That was the job of the levim. The levim were charged in carrying the mishkan. Wow. That was that was part of their uh, job. Kohanim served, and Levim actually were in charge of the uh, the transport of it. Thank okay, you. let's just go one more pasuk. Can't get enough. Vet menorah maor. That's the menorah itself. Vet all the vessels of the menorah, like we learned, and the the lights and the shemin, which is the special oil. Vet mizbecha ketoret. Mizbecha ketoret is the. Um, Mizbeach of gold that they put the incense on, and again, the poles that they used to carry it. The Shemin and Mishchad, that's the anointing oil. We learned that last week. Ketorat Tesemin, that's the 11 spices they brought every day. Bet Masach Petah, the Petah HaMishchad. And then the Mizbeach HaOla, that's the big Mizbeach where they brought the daily Korbanot every day. Bet Mechbara Nechosh Shelo, Bet Badab, again, the poles that they used to carry it. Bet Korkala, Bet Akiyor, the sink, and it's based. The second in space, it kaleh chatzed. Now kaleh chatzed is the uh, the kilaim. Now what is that exactly? We didn't discuss kilaim. I'm going to give it to you. What is now. that? I'll explain to you now. Which means, let's see the picture. You had you had these poles, right? The poles went around, but they put curtains on the poles. Otherwise, they're just poles, just uh, without any uh, without any drapings on it. So here you see. You see this picture over here? You see the, there's like partitions, like little curtains going around the poles? Right. They don't just leave the poles bare. They would put these curtains around the poles, and those poles are called, uh, I'm sorry, those are called the uh, drapes or partitions. Three woven partitions served to divide the different sections of the Mishkan. Uh, you had one that was called the parochet. The parochet, that divided between the holy and the holy of holies. And then you had a masach. Like that's, a mechit. That's like a mechitzah, exactly. And the masach stood at the entrance of the Kodesh, and then another masach stood at the entrance of the courtyard. And then you had these, uh, again, this is, if you want to really see it, so you have, you have these different cur these curtains over here. So this is a, a parochia. It's a, it's a curtain separating from you know, the section inside to the out. And then you have another 
This is the Mizbeach, and you have all the curtains around it. So it says over here, Okay, we saw the Parochet. Beautiful. The screen at the entrance. Okay, there you go. I think that's, uh, that's good. Anyway, let's pasuk. I know I said that 10 pesukim ago, but we just want to get to Shani. And it says over here, No. Okay, try to pay one second. Okay, that's the different, um, the pegs. What was this over here? Let's see over Wow, so there was different. Let's see if I had, what is this called? This is called Yitdot HaMishkan. Let me see if I can see Yedota Mishkan. These are different clamps, it looks like, that we used to make sure that the drapes don't, don't fall. Let me see if I can see the picture. Sorry about the delays over here, but I'm just trying to make it easier. Like hooks, rivets. Yes, yeah, sounds like there were, there were hooks. Is the drapes okay? We saw the drapes of the Mishkan. Here okay, Oh, here it is. According to this, here, here we go. Whoops. Now you see over here. They put like on the ends these 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 beams on top or these. Uh, Sticks. All right. You see, you see, no, it's like a metal. It's a metal piece on top of the beams, in order to hold them from on top. It's like a brace. And it's on top of the beam. He says over it's like here, a, it's like a clamp. Like a clamp, exactly. Rings for the corner pieces, according to some of the rabbis. So that was uh, that was that. There you go. All right. Rabotai, we're continuing our study of the uh, parasha with Perush Dashi. We're in Parashat Vayakel. Of course, these uh, classes are special for the Refuah Shilema of Hayasa Rabat Simcha. Uh, I did add Eliyahu ben Rachel as well. Amen. Amen. Now we are... Can we, can we also uh, refer to the Zachary Shimon Ben Teru? We have over here in the Mishkan uh, the different vessels that the Torah is telling us were prepared by the people and then had to be constructed by the people. So we left off last night uh, in Pasuk Yudhet. It's 35.18. This one word that I wanted to bring to your attention, uh, you had the Yitidote Haser Ve'et Metrehem. Yitidote Haser Ve'et Metrehem. The way they explain that is the pegs of the tabernacle and the cords. 
So I want to explain the pegs and the cords. If you remember last night, I don't have the picture with me. I'm in deal. But if you remember the picture book, we had the walls of the Mishkan and there was curtains that were around the walls just to, clo to close them up, like uh, curtains covering the walls. Now these curtains needed to be fixed to the ground. So they had what's called like pegs, like stakes, and they put them in the ground and that with ropes. So the ropes were able to like draw the uh, walls. These were like fabric and like a tent, like pitching a tent. And then we put these pegs and these um, uh, cords uh, in the uh, in the ground, and that would uh, serve to hold the um, the walls uh, in place. So that's something that we didn't say last night. So we're learning about that uh, that item. Now it says it bakodesh, which is referring to the the clothes, the clothes of the kohen that he used. Uh, in order to serve. Now, actually, Bigdah uh, Serad, my uh, my correction, as she says, which means besides the different furnishings, we didn't mention this yet. When they traveled, so they had to cover the furniture. You know, how you ever see somebody moves? So when they move, they have these uh, you know uh, different fabrics they throw on the furniture. Moving covers, moving yeah. exactly. Moving covers. I do it. That's what I do. Morris, we're not publicizing your, your business that I would all respect. But the point is that when you move, they have these covers. So the same thing, it's called Bigdes Serat. The Bigadim, not the beginning that they wore. These are garments or cloths that they used to cover the furniture when they travel. Again, it's an important uh, uh, way to learn here. It served the holy vessels. How did it serve it, as she says? By covering it at the time that they traveled. Fine. And it's Bigdeh Kodesh Aron Akohen, plus the vestments that the Kohanim wore. And Bigdeh Banav, his children. Now remember, all this took place in an assembly. The parashah is called Bayakel. The Jews were assembled. Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the instructions. This is what we're doing. We need the money. We need to go do the work. Right after he finished giving the instructions, remember on Sunday night we learned, this was given on the day after Kippur. After Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second set of tablets. So they received their instructions. And right after they received their instructions, Vayetzeu. It says they all left the Assembly, Moshe. That's a that's a good lesson you learn over here. That nobody left in the middle of the class. Just uh, an observation as a rabbi. You know, rabbi's giving a class. You don't walk out in the middle. They had derech eretz. And now every man that is hot was motivated. And had generous spirit. They started pouring in the donations. Now the money started coming in. Again, it's a costly uh, structure. People donating the garments, the, the metals and the stones. Now look at the next person. 
Ladies, pay attention. This is a pasuk in honor of the ladies. Now, what does this mean? The men came. It doesn't say they came with the ladies. They came al hanashim. What does it mean? They were, they were on the ladies' heads? Well, what does it mean? Vayavu hanashim al hanashim. So that she says, im hanashim. They came with them. Simuchim alehim. They were together. Archim actually tell us that why didn't the Torah then use the word im? It says it should say the men and ladies came together to donate. And the rabbis learned that actually the ladies came first. They were much more zealous in the donations to the Mishkan than the men were. Now here you see a great tribute to the ladies because if you remember a few weeks ago when we learned, or last week when we learned about the Egev, and you remember the men wanted the ladies to, the you know, exactly, donate their jewelry. <laughs> and the ladies, absolutely not. You want to donate? Donate your own stuff. We're not giving a red cent to the Egev. But when it came to the Mishkan, look how quickly they gave their jewelry. And therefore, you see the ladies over here, they outdid the men twice. They outdid us at the time of the Egev by not giving the jewelry. And then, so you would say, yeah, because the ladies love their jewelry. You know, until this parasha, you could say, maybe the reason why the ladies didn't want to give it to the Egev, who wants to give up their jewelry? Maybe the ladies are too connected to it. That's not true. Because when it came to building the Mishkan, they gave up their jewelry. Very So this perasha actually uh, gives a window into the intent of the ladies in last week's perasha. That it wasn't coming because they wanted to hoard their jewelry. It's because they were egging. They want to do the egging. But when it came to something that was noble, the money was given in the most generous way. Now, I'll tell you something beautiful on this pasuk. As a result of this, the ladies received the holiday. And the holiday they received is Rosh Chodesh. Why did they receive Rosh Chodesh? Because the Mishkan ultimately was erected on Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It was built in Tishri, Hejvan, Kislev, whatever it is. But it didn't get its final erection until the Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And the ladies were the main donors, I should say, the first donors. And therefore, the Torah comes and tells us that the ladies would receive as a minor holiday, Rosh Chodesh. What does it mean, a minor holiday? So there's a custom in some communities that the ladies don't work on Rosh Chodesh. Some ladies don't work the whole month, but I'm talking about the ladies that don't work on Rosh Chodesh. And that's a, a, a definite reward for their what should I say, zealousness in bringing the... Um... Now, I saw an unbelievable chidush. I know it's not Rashi, but I have to tell it to you anyway, once we're on this pasuk. Because it's a beautiful... There are not too many Rashis in this week's perasha, so we'll have time to finish them all, I'm sure, by the end of the week. Torah says, I saw this in the Midrash, that last week when the men donated their uh, jewelry to the Mishkan, it says the ladies were appalled that their husbands are worshipping Abu Dazara. So it says they threw the men out of the house. Of course, yeah. says you're not allowed to be married to a mumar. A mumar is, a, is an apostate. These people are worshipping Abu Dazara. The ladies said, forget about donating jewelry. We're not even living with you. 
they changed the locks on the doors, the Midrash says. And therefore, many men, after their Egel, were living in, uh, you know, in isolation. They, they couldn't go back home. But after God said to Bnei Israel, Salahti, I forgive them. So now, not only don't they have a rule, they're not considered apostates anymore because God forgave them. Now they can go back home. So the Pasuk over here says, now the men were able to go back with the ladies. They wow. were to, the Pazook is coming to tell us that it was a it was it was another item, a benefit that happened from the Salahti, that the, the homes were rebuilt again, the homes were were, were set straight again. Now, now we're gonna list some of these jewelries that they donated. So one is ha. What is ha? So that she says, maybe ladies, you'll tell me what it is in English, but he says it is a gold round type of jewelry that is put on the wrist. A cuff? Yeah, maybe a cuff or a bangle. I was thinking about a bangle. A bangle. Bangles. Okay. Bangles. Okay, the bangles have it. Okay. Yeah. Syrian bangles. So now... Bengals lost exactly. The Bengals are okay. And have, then you have Kumaz. Okay, we're not going to explain Kumaz. Kumaz is a is a is a is a jewelry that's wore in a private area. Let's just put it that way. And okay. then it says, The men also brought gold. Now, they brought all the different materials, the blue, the purples, <laughs> burgundies, the different skins that were needed from the rams. And they got the rams and the bangles and the, and the two different bits of people. And, wow. and, 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 and go here. Those, here. Oh. The Torah. The red skins. Got the red skins. Probably have to change that also. <laughs> So that's gonna have to change that because it's not uh, you don't want you don't want to not politically know, correct. Not politically correct. The Indians will so have to change that. But the old. <laughs> so now it says, "This parasha has been brought to you by the NFL." It's unbelievable. Called <laughs> So they brought the silver and the copper. Now this is interesting. Look what the Bazook says over here. And whoever that was found in his possession, would. Now, when it comes to all these other items, it doesn't say was found in his possession. It just says they donated their items. Because the explanation we learned already, if you remember, that the wood was actually, that they used for the Mishkan was planted by Abraham Avinu, Shalom. and Yaakov Avinu, before he went down to Egypt, chopped down those trees of his grandfather and brought them down to Egypt and told his grandchildren, when you leave Egypt, make sure you take the wood with you, because this wood is going to be needed for the Mishkan. So the wood didn't belong to anybody. The wood belonged to Yaakov. It belonged to uh, Abraham. So therefore, the pasuk cannot say that they brought their wood. So the pasuk says, and whoever the wood was found in their possession, 
Understand so how we're learning? Because it wasn't really theirs. Those were the guys that carried the wood out. The wood carriers, they came forward and said, here, we brought this out of Egypt. It's not ours. That's what the Pasuk is, is very clear when it says, V'chol asher nimsa. Ito is coming to tell us the Asishi team, L'chol meleket ha'avodah they brought it for the for the service. Now the ladies also did other things. The ladies that were artisans, with their hands they they weaved. Now this was a they did a very very hard job. As she says, if you look at the next pasuk, they weaved the goats. Now you don't weave goats, you weave the wool that's on the goats. So that she says, They weaved it while it was still attached to the goat. It seems that when it's still attached to the goat, it's white. It doesn't lose its luster. Once you take it off, uh, off the goat, it starts to... Uh, exactly. exactly. So the lady had a tremendous skill. That, go try to weave a sweater when it's still attached to the sheep. <laughs> can't do it. You're sitting on the house with a sheep and you're weaving the, an afghan when it's still attached to the sheep. And then when it's done, you cut it over and you have a. It's impossible. But these ladies had that skill that they were weaving the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the needlework for the Mishkan on the backs of the goats itself. Wow. Right. One more point. We said a lot tonight. And the Siim, the Siim is the presidents. President's day, Rabotai. You see, we have an image in the Torah. <laughs> Everything's in the Torah. The presidents are mentioned on the day that we're learning this parasha. So you see, it worked out. When the Siim, the presidents, heviu et abne hashoham. They brought it. Remember abne hashoham? Those were the two stones that they wore on the, on the shoulder. Not, not the breastplate. The breastplate was the 12 stones over shoulders, here. On the shoulders. Oh, on the shoulders, right. The Right, onyx to hold it in place. So, who donated the stones? The presidents. Each tribe had a president, and they stepped forward and said, "We'd like to make a significant donation. We're going to donate all the stones." So that she comes along and says, He says, "When it came to the Hanukkah uh, Mizbeah, we didn't get to that yet. When the Mishkan is going to be." finally built, we're going to learn that the Nisi'im, the presidents, are going to step forward first before anybody else, and they're going to bring an inaugural sacrifice from their own money. So when it came to the inauguration ceremony, who stepped forward first? The Nisi'im. They brought the inaugural sacrifices. When it came to the Mishkan, however, they were the last online. Everybody made all the donations, and if you look at the Pesukim here, they're the last one to step forward to give the the stones. Why were they so lazy when it came to the Mishkan donations? As she says, they made the following rationalization. They made the following calculation. Let the people donate and we'll pick up the shortfall. Whatever they can't raise, Moshe will come to us and we'll write the check. Sounds like a noble, a noble thing. That 
it wasn't coming from a fact that they, God forbid, were cheap or they were trying to get away. They said, give a chance. And listen, we're not going to shirk our responsibility. If there's anything missing, we'll take care of it. Only problem was, by the time it, by the time it came to the Nisi'im, eight for, and there was a surplus. They gave more than they bargained for. Which means, you learn from over here, you don't wait to the end. Because there might not be an end. In this case, they thought the shortfall. Now, when they came to Moshe, Moshe what, they told Moshe, what do you need? So we got everything. Every, everything was done then. I mean, we, were, we have an open blank check. Take your check and put it back in your pocket. As a matter of fact, we over-collected. So that's why they were stuck. So it says, what did they do? When it came to the inauguration, they said, we're not going to make the same mistake. We waited to the end and we got, we got boxed up. Now, when it comes to the inauguration, we're going first. She then says, and because they were lazy when it came to the building of the Mishkan, if you look at the uh, word Nisi'im is spelled, it's missing a letter. Normally, Nisi'im would be spelled Yud. Nisi'im. But written Nisi'am to come and tell us that there was a flaw in their behavior. Which means, and this is a big lesson, Rav Chaim Shmulevit says, although if you ask the Nisi'im outwardly, why aren't you running to give the donation? They gave a good excuse. No. We're waiting so we can pick up the bill. But the Torah is telling us, you know what really was motivating them? Laziness. It wasn't because of uh, generosity. There was a tinge of laziness. And therefore, they got punished for it. And they got Their name is missing a letter, which means their character was flawed. But the good news is they fixed it. When did they fix it? When they come, that's when they stepped forward and they oh. first. Okay, that's tonight's lesson of Botai. As again, we say, we're learning these shiurim for the refuashim of Haya Sarabat Simha, and as well as the president of the Albert. We're learning uh, tonight for the refuashim of Haya Sarabat Simha, and for our great president of the congregation, Riyahu Ben Rachel. Should have the Fuashinema, the Fuata Nefesh, the Fuata Guf, Fuata Nefesh, the Omar Amen. Now, we have, uh, we have Parashat Vayakel, but as an introduction tonight, I want to read to you a piece that I found in Rabbeinu Bahya. You know, the past couple of weeks now we've been spending a lot of time learning about the Mishkan and uh, I don't want any of our members just to to think that this is a um, you know an exercise that's not worth our while of course it's worth our while because we're doing it for a good cause for the of the Holim but uh, some might think that maybe a uh, more what should I say interesting or pertinent a relevant topic might be better suited, especially for people that are taking up their precious time at 10 o'clock at night to come and listen to a shi'ud. And here we're agonizing over the furnishings and, you know, the uh, coverings of this very important, most important mishkan. But 
hard for us really to, to relate to it. And even if we did it, now we're reviewing it again. So some might say, you know, one time was definitely enough, and now we have to do it a second time. And next week, I'm giving you a uh, heads up that Pikudet also is Mishkan related. So I wanted our members to have a good feeling about what we've done and what we're doing. So this is Rabenu Bahya, one of the major uh, early commentators on the Torah. And this is his last piece in Parashat Bayakel. It's a really a, a, a motivating piece. He says, Veda, ki asipur be'inyan ha-mishkan ve'kelav, the story that the Torah is telling us about the Mishkan and its vessels, and the analysis regarding uh, the shapes of the vessels, and the dimensions, including the height. Even though we know there's no Beta Mikdash, it's it's not, not around today. Listen to this. Mitzvah Gedolahi. It's a great mitzvah. Ad Shamayim Yagiya Sekara. And the reward for studying this parasha will reach the heavens. Torahi. After all, it is a piece of Torah. And therefore, we must learn it. The rabbis tell us regarding sacrifices, which actually is going to be the main topic of the next book, the book of Vayikra. It's all about sacrifices. Even though we don't bring sacrifices today, the Gemara says, <laughs> Whoever study these, studies these chapters, and he tries to ponder and understand to his best ability these subjects. It's as if he brought the sacrifice. So although you cannot bring the sacrifice physically, but by learning the topic, God considers it today as if you brought the korban. She'amru, the rabbis told us. That anybody that studies the parasha of Korban Ola, it's like he brought one. Parashat Hatat, it's like he brought one. You learn from this. Just reading the story, Bilvad, alone. Your reward is with you. And the uh, the uh, the consequence of reading it, it's as if you did it. So that applies to reading the story of Korbanot. But then he says, By reading the story of the Mishkan and the Mikdash, Look at this, what he calls it. Zechut atzuma, a great, awesome zechut. Ve'ekev rav, and we have a great uh, future to look forward to. Ka'ashed nehege bahim, when we toil in it, v'nishtadel lehavin pishuta, 
even if you're just trying to understand the simple pshat, the simple explanation as we're doing, and if you could study the depth of it, in this case, you can study the, the depth of it. And uh, so therefore he comes along and he says that what we're, we're involved in now is, uh, in God's eyes at least, something that's very, very great. And the reward that we've been gathering is, is incredibly, incredibly high. So I don't want anybody to, you know, to underestimate. Yeah, exactly. Underestimate what we're doing over here because of the technicalities of it. But it's actually the Benu Bahia gives me chizuk uh, and a real uh, uh, inspiration that what we're doing, at least all our members that are here, you're receiving tremendous, tremendous blessings from Hashem for this undertaking. I know most people skip it. Most people just say, you know, let's go, go read the Bible stories before we go to sleep. But we chose to do, uh, to, to, to not skip it. So, Hazako Baruch, I know it's going to be a refuah shirimah. And a bracha for all those that are participating. Now let's go to where we are. So last night, we read about the um, the presidents. Okay, now we're going to get to... <clears throat> we're going to start in chapter uh, 36. And we're going to start in Pasuk Lamed. 36.30. So Moshe tells the Jewish people, Again, uh, we've called upon the architect of the Mishkan. His name is Bessalel. He's the son of Uri, and he's the grandson of Hur. Now, does anybody know who Hur is? He was murdered. No, I didn't ask, does anybody know what happened to Hur? I asked, does anybody know who he yeah, is? He's the brother of uh, Aharon. Could you get more specific? I'm thinking. Yehuda? No. no. He is from the tribe of Yehuda. Hud is the son of Miriam. Oh. Okay, so that's um, uh, Moshe's nephew, actually, uh, uh, Hud. And this is the grandfather of Bezalel. Wow. So uh, I once heard uh, many years ago from uh, Hakam Yosef Rafu, my little be well, who was giving a derasha in the Saudash Mishit and Atedet, and I happened to attend, and I thought he said something very, very, very beautiful. He said, Why did God choose Mitzalel out of all people? Why was he the one to merit to be the architect? So he said that it was in the merit of his grandfather. Why? If you remember that when the Jewish people were worshiping the golden calf, so Hur uh, protested. And Hur was actually one of the leaders that Moshe left behind when he went up to Har Sinai to get to Luchot. It was Hur and Aharon. And Hur protested very loudly that this is wrong and that we're not allowed to do it and you must assist. And the people said, you know, if you don't uh, stop uh, protesting what we're doing, we're going to kill you. And Hur did not uh, make any uh, rationalizations or calculations. He said, it's the wrong thing to do, Abu Dazara. And therefore, even if I have to die for this, I will die. And sure enough, they killed him. So the greatness of Hur was 
he did not make any uh, mental calculations or rationalizations when it came to the word of God. So look how Hashem rewarded him. He gets a grandson called Bezalel that's able to make the most sophisticated calculations and the most sophisticated understanding and 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 and, and uh, uh, construction of the most intricate uh, mishkan. So it's a measure for measure. The one that did not make calculations or resisted or or, or did not uh, allow himself to make cheshbonot, he ends up getting a grandson that's able to make the most uh, intricate cheshbonot. And both are l'shem shamayim. What what Chur did was, it was for the sake of God. He could have rationalized and said, but listen, you know, uh, it's not my fault. The people can do it anyway. Why should I die? Aharon's not dying for it, so why should I die? You know, everybody could always, you know, <clears throat> make these calculations, but he didn't. He did the right thing. And therefore, God says, you made no calculations. You didn't let your mind go and start to, uh, you know, figure out reasons why you shouldn't give up your life. So your grandson is going to figure out tremendous, tremendous calculations in order to bring the Shekhinah down. Again, he was from the tribe of Yehuda, as you mentioned. Now, God filled him with Chokhmah, Tibuna, and Dad. These are all different levels of wisdom. Like we just said, he had the ability to make calculations, to work with the gold and the silver and the copper. He also knew how to work with stones, also how to fill the stones into the settings. He was a carpenter as well. And he also had with him we had a partner, and not, not too much is said about his partner. His name is Aholiav, Ben Ahisamach, the son of Ahisamach, which comes from the tribe of Dan. Now, Rashi says that the most prestigious of all the tribes is Yehuda. That's where uh, Bezalel comes from, descends from. And the most, uh, let's say, um, insignificant of the tribes, or least important, we'll say, of the tribes is Dan, which is the tribe of Aholiav. So it's interesting. The partnership over here is from the most prestigious and the most unprestigious tribes. So why would we put them together? So that she says over here, a very important concept to teach us that there is no status in front of God. In front of God, everybody's equal. The rich and the poor are all the same. You know, on earth, we classify people. Oh, this is a Hashuv guy. This is less. He has a high stature. He's a little lower on the scale, the social scale. Humans, because we're small, so therefore we can categorize people's levels. But God, God is so great. So therefore, there's no such thing as somebody greater or less great. And God shows that, that when he chooses the partnership to build the Mishkan, he chooses from the highest of tribes and the lowest of tribes, at least in our eyes. But to God, everybody is equal. And now the pasuk comes along and says that uh, they started to uh, construct. Again, I'm just reading the pasuk quickly. Uh, if you go to chapter 36 now, the Asab it was those two plus all the volunteers. They called them the Hakamlev all the, uh, the wise people that donated their services, that God gave them wisdom as well, in order to do the different works according to the God's commandment. Moshe called them and all the hachamim that were involved. 
And call Hashem Saudi boy, anybody that's hot, you know, wanted to donate their services. And uh, it says, they went around by Moshe They had to collect the donations first. And they brought it. They brought the donations uh, over the next few days. And all the Hachamin came and started to do their work. And now we're going to read Pasuk He and Vav. Now, I want you to pay attention very closely because what you're going to read now is a uh, a novelty in history. I don't think it ever happened before this. It's probably the first time it's ever happened. And I'm certain what's going to happen now in these Pesukim never, ever happened again and will never happen again in Jewish history. Just keep in mind, we're raising money now to build the Mishkan. Make the analogy. Imagine going around raising money to build a shul. So by so the workers that were getting all the donations, the Pasuk says, they tell Moshe, the people are actually bringing a, a lot, a lot of donations, for the, uh, for, which means more than we need for the work, which right. means that they're over-pledging, uh, you know, there's a lot of extra gold, there's a lot of extra material. So Moshe Rabbeinu makes the announcement. Men and women, which means he told the people, uh, it's enough, stop working, which gave the signal to everybody that there was enough money. So the people heard that the workers were stopping, so therefore they realized that enough money was pledged, so they stopped to uh, donate. <clears throat> now the Pasuk <clears throat> which means the, uh, the, the people that pledged the money, uh, it says it was enough for the workers, which is whatever they pledged, it was enough for the workers to work with those raw materials that they pledged in order to do all the work. But then the Pasuk says, Vehoter. Vehoter means, and there was extra. extra. That's, that'll never happen, that there's extra. <laughs> here, you know, we're lucky that if we can meet the budget. And over <laughs> here, the Pasuk says that the B'nai Israel over-pledged, so much so that Moshe Rebbe had to make an announcement, the drive is over. Now, I've been in the rabbinical business for a long time, and I've been heading a lot of drives, and I don't think ever did we make an announcement to the congregation, we've collected too much, and therefore the drive is over, stop bringing. That's so, right, Hashem. There's, there's always a first, and this is the first that I would say is also the last. It just shows you how uh, generous B'nai were at the time, that they were so eager to make their donations that they got so much, and this was done only in a few days, you have to remember. The, the pledges started to come in after Kippur. That's after Moshe Rabbeinu came down, and God said, I forgive you. And they just had this thing collected and built, you know, very, very quickly. So the Pasuk comes along and says, the hotel, that there was actually uh, extra. Now, there is... Um, We'll read one more Rashi here because there's not too many Rashi's in this parasha. I'm going to jump to 
chapter 37 now, because there's no more Rashi's in chapter 36. In chapter 37, Now, B'Tzal'el, it says he himself built the Aron, the Ark. Now, Rashi has a problem. What do you mean B'Tzal'el himself? This was not a, uh, a, a private uh, 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 building project. There was helpers, there was hachamim, there was craftsmen. Yes, B'Tzal'el was the architect, but he didn't do it alone. So why does the Torah make it as if B'Tzal'el built Aaron? Especially, the Aaron has to be built by a group like Milan. V'asuet Aaron, it says plural. So why do we give the credit to B'Tzal'el? Where was everybody else? Rashi does not accept that he did it alone. So if he didn't do it alone, why does the Pasuk imply that he did it alone? So Rashi answers, she tells us a very, very important truth that since B'Tzal'el worked harder than anybody else on the project and he put his, like we would say, uh, his heart and soul into the work more than anybody else, well, we would say he was the most devoted, let's say, of the bunch. And therefore the Torah says he's going to get the credit. So even though there were other people, but they were not as diligent, let's say, as B'Tzal'el was, and therefore the Torah says forever that he gets the credit as if he did it alone, even though there might have been other helpers. And we're not saying he did it alone, but his passion and his sacrifice was so commendable that the Torah says uh, it's as if he did it himself. So that's... Why was it, why was it that item, Rabbi? I guess, I guess the Aron is the most you know, important furniture because it has the luchot in it and the Torah in it. So therefore could be, you know, B'Tzalel gave it extra attention only because of its uh, stature and the cherubs, if you remember, are on top of the Aron. That's where God communicates to B'nai Israel. So he probably uh, gave the Aron a little TLC more than, you know, the other uh, the furnishings. But the Torah appreciates that extra effort that he expended. And the Torah says, uh, actually, it's the Aron that B'Tzalel uh, made. Okay, Rabotai, that's, uh, that's tonight's uh, offering. How was Betzal El named? Who named Betzal El? Betzal El. Oh, that's a good name. Oh, it's a good question. Who named them? Well, it's a great name. Listen, you know, sometimes rabbis tell us uh, a person's name is his essence. Mm. And Achamim tell us that, you know, Betzal El is a perfect example of that because to build the Mishkan, he didn't only have, have to have uh, craftsman skills or building skills. This was a spiritual building. So you really needed to infuse it with a lot of kavanot and, you know, concentrations and spiritual, you know, divine names of God. So the, the, the Gemara actually says that creating the Mishkan, you had to have you know, the, the know-how of how to create the world. They want to say that the, the Mishkan was like a microcosm of the world. It was like a miniature world, you know, in, in what it represented. You know, you didn't see a sun and a moon and stars, but the the uh, deep uh, internal parts of what the world represents were represented in the Mishkan. So in one sense, B'Tzal'el was like God. That's what they say, B'Tzal'el, like you said, the shadow of God. Because just like God created the macro world, B'Tzal'el in a certain sense was able to build the micro world of the Mishkan and therefore he was named, you know, aptly when they called him Betzel El. 
the image, image. The, the shadow or the, the shade of creator because it's like a, you know, a spin-off <laughs> of the wisdom of, uh, of God. So finish the parasha. We're learning for the four and for the doctor, Eliyahu ben Rachel, when Parashat Vayakel. Good evening again. And we are uh, going to read tonight in chapter 38. This Pesukim. Hello, everyone. Hello. This, these Pesukim talk about the making, actually, Pesukhet, the making of the sink. So let's talk about that. It's again chapter 38, Pesuk 8. So they made the sink or the basin made out of copper, that's the base of the sink, Nehoshet. Now here we talk about where did they get the copper to make the sink from? That's the million dollar question of the evening. And the Torah says, from the mirrors. Now which mirrors are we talking about? So that she tells us a beautiful story, which is actually the theme of tonight's, uh, tonight's class, and is the last Rashi on the parasha. Be'marot ha'sobeot. Be'not Yisrael hayu bi'yadan marot shiro'ot pen kishemet kashetot. The ladies in Egypt um, had mirrors, and they would use these mirrors in order to put on their makeup, a makeup mirror, no different than what you have the ladies uh, today. Fe'af otan and if you can believe it or not, they even donated those mirrors to the Mishkan. Which is they didn't hold back anything. Even though it's a personal, it's a personal item, you know, a vanity item. They didn't, uh, they didn't hold it back. They gave it as a donation. Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu received it, it says, Moshe Rabbeinu was... Um, uh, he, he despised it. He felt that it's not a it's not a nice thing to accept. After all, a mirror is vanity. And uh, we're building a mishkan, and the purpose of the mishkan is to bring the shekhinah down. And he felt that to take a item that's designated for vain purposes, so he felt it's uh, it's not uh, it's not suitable. It's even worse. You know, it arouses the evil inclination. Ladies make themselves beautiful, and therefore, that, that doesn't fit. Well, God has veto power. So God says, Kabel, I tell you to accept it. Not only am I telling you to accept these mirrors, but in my opinion, they are more precious than all. It was these mirrors that caused the myriads of Jews and the army of Jews to be born in Mitzrayim. These mirrors were the, were the conduit. They were the, they were the go-between. How? So that she tells us a story. Look at, listen to the story now. The men went to work and they were involved in backbreaking labor. And the last thing on their mind was to be with their wives and have children. So the ladies, the righteous ladies, they would go out to the work fields 
And when they, they would bring their husbands lunch. And uh, they would bring them something to drink. And then the ladies would take out their mirrors. And they would, you know, look in the mirrors and see themselves and their husband. I guess that's the first selfie in history. Maybe that's where it comes from. And it says they would not look at each other in the mirrors with their husbands. And they would, I don't know what the right word is. They would uh, maybe flirt with their husbands is the right word. And they say, oh, I'm more handsome than you. I'm more pretty than you. They would make themselves like uh, talk a little, you know, light with their husbands in order to, you know, seduce them a little and to make them, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, less thinking about their work and the troubles that they have. And that would arouse their husbands. And then they would go to a private place. And sure enough, they got pregnant. And they would give birth in those places. Actually, it was under the apple tree. There were apple orchards, apple orchards in the outskirts of Egypt. And the Jewish woman would go and give birth under these apple orchards. Like it says in the Pasuk, and that's what it means when it calls these mirrors the mirrors that were responsible for the myriads of people that came out of Egypt. That means if the ladies weren't, didn't do this uh, scheme in order to get the men to be with them, there would be no people leaving Egypt. There would be no people. You know, the sea would have split, but there were no Jews leaping. There goes the Exodus. So God says to Moshe, you don't want to receive these mirrors. These mirrors are very, very holy because it was the Jewish woman that used these mirrors to make themselves beautiful, <clears throat> to take their husband's minds away from the work, to put them in the mind of being with their wives. And as a result, we have, we have a nation. So these mirrors are very, very important. Now, the question is, so they melted these mirrors down. The back of the mirror is like copper. Now, the question you have to ask is, why did they make the sink out of copper? Why did they use the ladies' donation to make the sink? You know, they could have made, uh, I don't know, one of the altars was made out of copper also. Is there a connection between the ladies' mirrors and the fact that it was used to make the sink. Anybody have an answer to that? Okay, I do. So the answer is, is that the sink served another purpose that we didn't talk about yet. Besides the fact that they had to wash their hands every morning. Remember I showed you the acrobatics that had to do putting their hand on their feet every morning, right, right, left, left. But the, the sink copper. also served, the sink also served in order to check the lady that's a sota. Okay, oh. let's review that. And that's the water. Everybody's 18 over here. We'll, we'll go through that very nicely now. So you have a case where a husband suspects his wife for, uh, you know, impropriety, let's call it that way, that she might be, uh, you know, not, uh, not being so modest. So he warns her. And he says, I'm warning you in front of two witnesses. I don't want you to be secluded with this man. 
let's say the guy's name is Reuven. I don't want you to be secluded with Reuven. And then all of a sudden, he's at a wedding and he's looking for his wife. He doesn't know where his wife is. All of a sudden, uh, he gets to a door and the door's locked and he knocks on the door and who answers the door? Reuven. Okay. And who's behind Reuven? This guy's wife. So now he doesn't know what they were doing in there. Now, for all, for all, uh, for all we know, they could have been learning that for me in there together, but probably not. So now the husband doesn't know that what this man did, because if they were together, then she's forbidden to be with her husband. That's it. It's a breakup. So what do they do? There's no cameras. So there's no way to prove anything over here. So the Torah says. The husband takes his wife to the Beit HaMikdash. And they go to the sink. And they take water from the sink. And they add the special name of God into the water. And she drinks it. Now, the drinking of the water of Sota is like a, is like a truth serum. If she's innocent and she really didn't do anything in the room with that man, then nothing will happen to her. But if she's actually guilt, and then she can go back to her husband. But if she's guilty, then the waters will go like a venom into her body and cause her you know, stomach to explode, her legs to buckle, and then she'll just you know, blow up. And you have the, you know, the splash zone in the middle of the Beit HaMikdash. So now the Torah tells us that the ladies who donated their uh, mirrors, their mirrors are going to be used for the sink. Now the question is why? So the explanation is, because these ladies use their mirrors to be loyal to their husbands. Which is they use their mirrors for Shalom Bayit in order to enhance their marriages. And the lady of the Sota probably used her vanity mirror in order to make herself beautiful for somebody else. And therefore, it's a stark rebuke when they bring her to the Beit HaMikdash and they bring her to the sink and they're saying, shame on you. Your grandmother would make herself beautiful, but for a husband, and you made yourself beautiful for somebody else. So therefore, it's a it's a rebuke of Musar that the Torah is giving these sota ladies in order to come to the sink to remember that they veered from the tradition of the old modest uh, ladies from Mitzrayim. And therefore, uh, God comes along and says that. Uh, the uh, sinks that were used had to be made out of uh, out of Nehoshet. Now, I once uh, uh, explained that on the night of Pesach, we have a lot of things that we do to commemorate what happened in Egypt. One of the things the Ashkenazim do is they make the haroset and they add apples into the haroset. I don't know if that's your custom, but they add apples. Why? Because as we learned tonight, the ladies used to give birth by the apple orchards. So in order to remember that moment or that location, so they eat apples in order to remember that, that concept. But I once explained that there's something else on the night of, of Pesach that we do, that we don't do any night of the year. Every Friday night, we make Kiddush. <clears throat> what do we do right after Kiddush? Okay, Shabbat Shalom, and then we make the Tilat Yadayim. We go to the sink and we wash our hands. 
but it is only on the night of Pesach that we go to the sink twice. After we make the Tzlat Yadayim for the, um, after the Kiddush, Kadesh, Urhas, we wash our hands first for the Karpas, and then later on, we go back to the sink and we wash our hands again for the Matzah. the only night in the Jewish calendar where we have two visits to the sink. And the question is, maybe that the reason why we're going to the sink is that we want to remind everybody of the sink of the Bet HaMikdash that was made out of those mirrors. Because we want to remember on the night of Pesach, the Nashim Tzadkariyot, the righteous ladies that use their mirrors in order to make themselves beautiful, in order that the men will change their mind and decide to have children. And those are the uh, myriads of people that came out of Mitzrayim. So the sink on their Pesach might have a, you know, a deeper connotation. It's not only to wash the sink, but we might remind ourselves of the of the kiyor and what it uh, what it represents. Now I will tell you that uh, if you look at uh, the word kiyor, kiyor is which is sink. So we once said, let's see over here. It is yes. If you look at the word kiyor, it's made up of four letters: chaf, yud. Now we know how many how many uh, years were the Jewish people in Egypt, so we know they were there ultimately uh, two hundred and ten years, and that's why in Kiyor you have the letters Resh and the letters Yud, and what are the remaining letters of Kiyor? Chavav, Chavav, which is twenty six, which is Hashem's name, which means the Kiyor reminds us of the Jewish people in Egypt for 210 years, and it remembers how God ultimately redeemed us. So therefore the word kiyor, which is the word for sink, actually has in it the uh, number of years that we were in Mitzrayim. And again, God's a blessing to the ladies, that it was all, the, all because of them. Uh, if it wasn't for the ladies, uh, there would not have been any people that could celebrate it's Yatmasraim. So uh, I don't know what, what we do now because this is really uh, a dilemma. Because it's Wednesday night and uh, we finished actually all the Rashis on Parashat Vayakir. I don't know how we did that because there's not too many, to be honest with you. Let me just see. Uh, yeah. So what we'll probably do tomorrow night is. Uh, we'll go back to Kitisa because Shabbat is a special Shabbat. It's Parashat Shekalim. We have two Sifre Torah this Shabbat. This is Shabbat Shekalim. And therefore, it's a special uh, Shabbat. And therefore, we'll go back and elaborate on some of the teachings on the Parasha of Shekalim. And uh, it'll be a, a good review. And at least when they read it on Shabbat, we'll have some, uh, some knowledge of it. Meantime, uh, I pray that what we did tonight over here will be at Shalema for Hayas Sarah Bat Simcha, as well as Liao Ben Achel. I wish all our members a Laila Tov and the Shalom